Hey, Scott Walker here on You Can't Recall Courage. It's uh, Friday morning, the beginning of November, November 1st, tomorrow, November 2nd. Uh, it's my birthday of all things. In fact, on November 2nd, 2010, was the day we uh, we won our original election for governor. So it was uh, interesting. I'm not much of a uh, betting man, but that year, won the election on my birthday. A couple months later, February 6th, our wedding anniversary, 100th anniversary that year in 2011, Ronald Reagan's birthday. And it uh, just happened to be the day the Green Bay Packers won the Super Bowl against the Pittsburgh Steelers down in North Texas in the Dallas area. I'm not much of a betting man, but I would have been that year had the, the third piece of the trifecta there worked, and that was the World Series that year was on October 19th. was the starting day, uh, first game of the World Series. Uh, back then, the old system was the National League or American League would win depending on who won the All-Star game. National League won the All-Star game. And uh, so the first game that the Brewers got there would have been on October 19th at Miller Park. Ironically, October 19th is Tonette's birthday. Unfortunately, the St. Louis Cardinals uh, beat us uh, one game out uh, from the National League Championship Series, and so we missed that trifecta. But like I said, I'm not a betting man, but had, I, had we gotten to the World Series on Tonette's birthday after having won the election on my birthday and... I had, the had won the Super Bowl on our wedding anniversary, I might have actually bought a lottery ticket. Uh, yesterday was on uh, Newstalk 1130 WISN. We talked about a whole bunch of things, from impeachment uh, to the expansion of scariest socialist ideas. Uh, we talked about uh, all sorts of different things. But one of the things I mentioned on there, I, I wanted to talk about today's podcast. And looking forward, in the next few weeks, we're going to start doing some interviews as well. But, but one of the things I wanted to kind of dig a little bit deeper into was my friend, Vice President Mike Pence, gave a speech recently at the Wilson Center. In fact, we had asked him to be there. I happened to be the chair, Donald Trump, President Trump, uh, and, and uh, actually appointed me to be on the Board of Trustees of the Wilson Center. Um, it's a entity that's chartered by Congress, and uh, it's nonpartisan. It, it's, uh, it doesn't come across with a particular point of view. It talks about international issues. Now, originally, we invited the Vice President to come, and he was going to talk about uh, the trade deal with uh, between uh, Canada, Mexico, and the United States, which is still pending after a year uh, of being before the Congress. It would be nice instead of all this nonsense on investigations and uh, impeachment inquiries and others, if they if they just got this deal done, uh, if they passed this deal, broad bipartisan support. A number of my former colleagues in the uh, National Governors Association told me that, that all the governors, Democrat and Republican alike, had signed off on a letter to to the Congress to get going to, to push this plan forward. And then Speaker Pelosi asked the Democrats to pull their names off, and they did. So all those things we've been talking about lately. But, but today, I, I want to dig a little bit deeper into the speech that Vice President Mike Pence gave at the Wilson Center. I introduced him and a little bit of question and answers afterwards. But, but I thought it was, it was really a remarkable speech, and it was about China. Now, most of the attention about China these days is about trade. And rightfully so. There's a huge trade imbalance we've seen for years. Uh, uh, you know, you talk about tariffs and the media gets themselves worked up into a, a lather and, and some commentators as well about, about tariffs. And I'm all for free trade. But I think the president's right on this, that free trade should be fair trade. I'm for free, or excuse me, for fair trade, uh, which to me means free trade, uh, if we have free trade, if, if American workers, American farmers and ranchers and manufacturing workers and others uh, in all different industries, if Americans are able to compete on a level playing field, 
with China, people in China, and any other economy in the world, we win. Our innovation, our determination, our, our work ethic, all those things contribute to us winning. But, but unfortunately, for years, and through administrations of both political parties, we have failed to come even close to competing on a level playing field. And so the, the vice president talked a little bit about that, went a little bit deeper than some of the discussions President Trump has had in the past. He, he, he without a doubt, talked about the trade component. And, you know, the ultimate goal, he's talked about, I've talked to Jared Kushner about this before and others in the administration, is ideally to get to zero tariffs. I remember at the G7 a couple of years ago up in Canada, um, some of our allies were pushing pretty heavily against the president and his threats of additional tariffs around the world. And he kind of surprised him. He said, in what was relatively an undercovered story, very brief mention about it, President Trump, I think rightfully so, said, well, let's put no tariffs on the table. Take them all off. You know, his view was like I just articulated, and that is if, if we can compete on a level playing field, American workers can compete with anybody. Of course, that's not what they wanted. They just didn't want, want more American tariffs, but they didn't want to take the tariffs off that they protected things in their own countries. And so long-term, this is an issue anywhere in the world. It's why while the trade deal, the new proposed trade deal with, with Mexico and Canada is not perfect, it is a far greater improvement from what we have under NAFTA. But ultimately, going forward, whether it's the trade deal with South Korea, I was there a couple of years ago, we talked about that, it was critically important to them, really moves us in the right direction over time with South Korea, opens up markets, allows us to compete. Certainly the discussions with Abe and, and uh, leaders in, in Japan, over time, depending on what happens with Brexit, certainly we should have, I think, immediate aggressive talks uh, with the United Kingdom, and not only as a, a global ally, but now as a trading partner, as well as what happens with Europe. But when it comes to China, We've got to level the playing field. Um, and that happens a number of ways, certainly in making sure that, that uh, we had actually a member of Congress right here in Wisconsin that had a bill that simply stated, hey, we'll only put tariffs on things that other countries put tariffs on, the equivalent goods coming uh, out of our country into theirs. We'll do the same, vice versa. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But to me, pushing back on China is, is right. But it's right for a number of reasons that, that far exceed just trade itself. In fact, in many ways, the speech Mike Pence gave, and feel free to go to uh, whitehouse.gov. You can read the entire transcript or see the speech, but the transcript's right there. It's, it's under, uh, if you type in uh, Mike Pence and Wilson Center, it'll pop up. It was the first um, in the series of, of uh, lecture series honoring the former chair of the Wilson Center, a, a good friend of mine, the former RGA finance chair, Fred Malik. Uh, but he gave it this inaugural Malik lecture series, this really intense talk about China that I thought was Reagan-esque. And I mean that not that the president, President Reagan, talked as much about China, but it was much in the way that President Reagan back in the, in the 80s, and particularly when I was coming of age, would talk about the old Soviet Union. It went beyond trade. He, he talked about today's Communist Party. Here's some of the words he said. is building a surveillance state unlike anything the world has ever seen. Hundreds of millions of surveillance cameras stare down from every advantage point. Ethnic minorities must navigate arbitrary checkpoints where police demand blood samples, fingerprints, voice recordings, and multiple angle headshots, and even iris scans. They're now exporting this to countries in Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East. The very same technological tools that they used in their authoritarian regime. 
These are things actually I've talked about, you know, talking about, um, you know, single sourcing uh, the 5G system here would not make any sense because to compete with China, we shouldn't be like China. We should allow our companies here in the United States to compete on an open uh, platform uh, to compete with some of these state-sponsored industries and certainly push back on their use here in the United States and encourage our allies not to do the same because, you know, you can see this. This is things where they not only build physical ports, infrastructure, but where they're putting in in place systems of telecommunications that are not interoperable, meaning you put them in, you're stuck with them. You can't go to some other system. You you can't say, well, now they've jacked the prices up or they put these conditions on. These are the things we see in China's Communist Party today. And, and I thought the vice president made a pretty compelling case. In fact, in many ways, he used the same mindset of what President Reagan talked about, where our, our gripe wasn't with the Soviet people. It was with the, the leadership and the Communist Party and the, the old Soviet Union. So it is today with China. He went even further, though. He, I love this line later in the speech or this, this paragraph where the vice president of the United States said, but nothing in the past has put on display the, Chi the Chinese Communist Party's anthropy to, to liberty so much as the unrest in Hong Kong. Hong Kong has served as an important gateway between China and the wider world for 150 years. Hong Kong is one of the freest economies in the world with strong, independent legal institutions and a lively free press, and it's home to hundreds of thousands of foreign residents. Hong Kong is a living example of what can happen when China embraces liberty. And yet for the last few years, Beijing has increased its interventions in Hong Kong and engaged in actions to curtail the rights and liberties of its people. Rights and liberties that were guaranteed through a binding international agreement of one country, two systems. President Trump has been clear. As he said in his words, the United States stands for liberty. We respect the sovereignty of nations, but America expects Beijing to honor its commitments, and President Trump has repeatedly made it clear it would be much harder for us to make a trade deal if the authorities resort to the use of violence against protesters in Hong Kong. Now, this is what the vice president said, and I think he's exactly right. I've warned in the past that how can you expect a country that doesn't honor its commitments, commitments it made uh, in terms of the transfer of power from Britain with the long-term transfer of uh, a power agreement made in terms of what the expectation would be in terms of the governance in Hong Kong. If they can't fulfill those commitments, commitments that were clearly made, not just to the people of Hong Kong, not just to the within uh, mainland China, but were clearly made on a global basis. If they can't be expected to live up to those expectations, how can China be expected to live up to trade or any other agreements? Now, it's interesting. The vice president went on to say more, and, and I thought this was interesting because it, it talks about um, some of the very same professional athletes who freely like to, uh, uh, to be woken uh, are, are woke to the challenges in the United States and are free to take a knee and, and feel great about it. Um, but don't do the same thing when it comes to China. I, I want to explain some more about that, but first we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back on You Can't Recall Courage. I'm Scott Walker. Thanks for joining us. Hey, I'm Scott Walker here back on You Can't Recall Courage. Thanks for joining us on our weekly podcast. You want to learn more about it, go to scottwalker.com. So as I was saying, uh, Mike Pence, Vice President of the United States, good friend of mine, former governor in Indiana, just a great all-around guy. Enjoyed my time with him and the second lady, uh, Karen Pence, last week when 
Tonya and I had the, uh, the opportunity, really the privilege, to join the two of them and a handful of others over at the, the Naval Observatory at the residence of the vice president, which they've done a fabulous job in, in the foundation of really restorating that beautiful historic facility. Anyway, Mike Pence, Vice President Pence, was, was talking at the Wilson Center. I had the honor of introducing him where I serve as the chair of the Board of Trustees. He's talking about China, and he went further than just trade. He, he talked about surveillance. He talked about intellectual property. Uh, he talked about uh, Hong Kong, as I just mentioned. But he goes even further. Uh, Vice President Pence went on to say, as China has exercised its influence across the region and across the world, as I said last year, the Chinese Communist Party is also continuing to reward and coerce American businesses, movie studios, universities, think tanks, scholars, journalists, and local, state, and federal officials to influence the public debate here in America. Today, China is not only exporting hundreds of billions of dollars in unfairly traded goods to the United States, but lately, China's been trying to export censorship, the hallmark of its regime. By exporting corporate greed, I love this line, by exporting corporate greed, Beijing is attempting to influence American public opinion, coercing corporate America. And far too many American multinational corporations have kowtowed to the lure of Chinese money and markets by muzzling not only criticism of the Chinese Communist Party, but even affirmative expressions of American values. He goes on to say, Nike promotes itself as a so-called social, social justice champion. But when it comes to Hong Kong, it prefers its checking its social conscience at the door. Yeah, I love that line. When it comes to Hong Kong, it prefers checking its social conscience at the door. Nike stores in China actually removed their Houston Rockets merchandise from the shelves to join the Chinese government in protest against the Rockets. General Manager's seven-word tweet, which read, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. Mike Pence is exactly right. So, so these folks who did an ad for Colin Kaepernick, a guy who took a knee during the national anthem, and he's got every right to protest whatever he wants to protest. In fact, he's been protesting so much, I think most people forgot what the reason for his protest was in the first place. But he wants to protest. You've got this incredible microphone. Go hold a press conference after the game when you're no longer on the, on the dime for any of the NFL teams, when you're not wearing the uniform, when you're not in the stands, go to a press conference somewhere. It's not like people wouldn't come. I mean, it's not like the only place he can let his voice be heard is on the field. It's not like he's living in a, a communist socialist regime where that might be the only place where he can possibly speak out. No, in America, Colin Kaepernick, LeBron James, any of these athletes could hold a press conference anywhere in the country and the media would attend. That's why it's great when, when the vice president continues to say, and some of the NBA's biggest players and owners who routinely, this is where you're exactly right, that's what I'm talking about, who routinely exercise their freedom to criticize this country, lose their voices when it comes to the freedoms and rights of the people in China. Inciting with the Chinese Communist Party and silencing free speech, the NBA is acting like a wholly owned subsidiary of the authoritarian regime, a progressive corporate culture that willfully ignores the abuse of human rights is not progressive. It is repressive. When American corporations, professional sports, pro athletes embrace censorship, it's not just wrong, it's un-American. American corporations should stand up for American values here at home and around the world. Boy, that's some of the strongest statements I think any of us have heard 
from, uh, well, from anyone, not just from this administration, but from anyone here in the United States. And, and he called it out. He called it out. This is exactly the sort of thing Ronald Reagan talked about with the Soviet Union. It's not just enough to make an economic argument. You've got to make a moral argument. You know, for years we've talked about China. China's not an ally for sure, but it's certainly not a direct enemy. It's not a direct foe like we see, uh, you know, countries in the past, the evil empire, the Soviet Union was talked about. Uh, but, but clearly uh, it is a competitive uh, partner, a partner only in the sense that a huge part of our economy is interdependent on the Chinese economy and vice versa. That's why they face their challenges as President Trump has put in place tariffs and other trade barriers along the way and has used it like levers to go back and forth. Hopefully, and the vice president himself said this in his speech, hopefully we can get to a point where there's a mutually agreed upon trade deal going forward that can be beneficial for uh, American manufacturing workers, for farmers, for others in this great country um, that can work for the people in, in China as well. But, but the larger argument here is one that most people have kind of glossed over. Certainly the NBA, Nike, other multinational corporations that have kind of looked away. They, they know what's going on, but they've looked away. You, you see, I've heard this for years from businesses here in Wisconsin, and I hear it from others across the country, the qualms that they have about intellectual property theft, of, of taking and, and partnering uh, with Chinese, particularly with enterprises that are uh, state-sponsored enterprises where they've argued for years that major portions of the work they've done has then been cannibalized, that they take their plans, they take their designs, and, and suddenly they appear on the market um, outside of these partnerships with American companies. So we've seen the intellectual property theft. We've seen the challenges out there. We see the issues for surveillance. Um, we see it here and around the world. We've seen the interaction. We, we see their, their interest in expanding their scope and influence, whether it's in Central America, whether it's in Africa. We see them growing uh, the challenges. Uh, one of the direct challenges to international trade is navigation. That's the power of navigation. You know, Islands emerging out of the sea, uh, literally built uh, by the Chinese government. The expansion of their navy and their military power had this president, Donald Trump, not stepped up and joined Republicans in Congress to uh, expand and reinvigorate the United States military, we'd, we'd be out far outpaced, uh, particularly by the Navy, uh, when it comes to their increase in China. But beyond all that, there's so many people who don't recognize the crackdown on, uh, on, on freedom in China, certainly with their citizens overall, but particularly for ethnic and religious minorities. Uh, as a Christian, I'm concerned about what they've done in the past, uh, but even as a someone who's not only as a Christian, but just as someone who believes in the very principles of this country of, of free speech, of free practice and of religion, of, of free enterprise, those things are all at odds with what's happening with the Chinese Communist Party. Look at what they're doing to Muslims uh, in China. Uh, if it was being done in the United States or it was being done in any number of other countries, there would be broad-based global outrage. And yet, because of the economic power of China, um, you see people turning the other way. And a prime example of that, and the vice president alluded to this, but think about LeBron James, my goodness. He's over there free to speak out about anything here in America, and he's every right. He wants to criticize the president or me or anyone else, regardless of party, he can do that. that that's what's great about America. But he doesn't even acknowledge that there's a legitimate case to be made that there are strong human rights violations. 
I think the fact that just after that simple tweet, so you got the the general manager for the Houston Rockets uh, NBA basketball franchise, all he said was fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. Those simple words. And, and at that reaction, you, you, there were images of video taken of, of basketball gyms, gyms where they have basketball courts in China where they immediately came in and painted over the Houston Rockets where, where Nike kowtowed to the Chinese government, to the Chinese Communist Party and took Houston Rockets uh, merchandise, shoes and other merchandise off their shelves. You, you look at the influence they're trying to have not only in, in terms of the impact in China, but, but one of the things that was disturbing to me was the data out there and a number of the public reports about all the reaction to that tweet on Twitter here in the United States. But it was driven not by robots, but by literally thousands and thousands and thousands of real Twitter users uh, who were marshaled. You've got this industrial complex where they, they've got so many bodies, they can literally marshal these resources and get people to, to create new individual accounts and start tweeting their opposition. I mentioned this on air yesterday, but it's an important reminder, not just with China overall, to put things in perspective. Here in the United States, uh, I think the Pew uh, Research did a survey and found, <coughs> excuse me, Pew Research found a, uh, did a survey and found that out of all the American ad Americans who are adults in the United States, all the adults in this country, just 22%, 22% according to Pew, are on Twitter. Even more fascinating to me, and you compare that, I think it's like 69% on Facebook, about 73% on, on YouTube. So 22% of all adults clearly skewed towards a younger audience. So millennials and, and Generation X are a much higher percentage there. So if your target audience are, are young people, Twitter does have a place. I'm on all those platforms because it's just important to communicate as it was this podcast. But what was interesting is not only is it just 22%, but roughly 10%, the top 10% of the, the people who do tweets uh, on Twitter, the top 10% tweeters, uh, do about 80% of all the tweets. My point with that is saying when something's trending here in America on Twitter, it may not reflect by any stretch of the imagine, imagination a true sense of what's trending, if you will, or what's on the top of people's minds across the country when you've got a roughly close to 80% of the people who aren't on Twitter, and even amongst those who are, most people are not doing most of the tweets that people read, it's just a vivid, vivid reminder, not just for the public in general, but particularly for people in media. I, I found Twitter has become kind of this, this, uh, this crutch for, for people in the media who don't do the research. They just kind of go and follow the tweets of certain elected and political and, and cultural uh, leaders, and they use their tweets and then they watch responses as if that's a re reaction to what people think across the country and around the world. And what we saw with this Houston Rockets situation was, again, the Chinese Communist Party, the leadership in China, manufactured. They went out and, and, and I believe, actually instructed people um, or maybe even forced people to go out and create this twi these Twitter accounts, individual accounts, more than just a robot, to go out and try and influence opinion, not just in China, not just in mainland China, but actually here in the United States. I think that opens up a, a long-term concern we need to dig into much deeper into the future. It's something that shouldn't be partisan. This should be a legitimate concern we have overall. 
Now, I'm also optimistic enough to know that, that we can't fix everything. We shouldn't be the world's policemen. We shouldn't be dictating the terms everywhere else in the world. But at least we should be able to speak out and say, we believe that if we're going to be a, a partner in any regard, particularly economically, not only should we have fair trade to, to ensure that American workers and farmers and others can compete on a, a level or at least a relatively level playing field, but along the process, just as Ronald Reagan did with this old Soviet Union, we should be making the moral case for the principles that made this country great and that free people anywhere in the world should enjoy. Well, that's uh, enough for today. We go on with this for quite some time. As I said, coming up on some future podcasts, we're going to start interviewing some people. It may not be every week, but a number of folks who've expressed some interest. We'd like to get them on every Friday morning. Look for details. We'll post it on on Facebook and Twitter, the updates of who's going to be on next. Until next Friday, I'm Scott Walker, and you can't recall courage. Until then, keep fighting for freedom.